Welcome to the Hedgemaker Broadcast. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied to the nation of Israel many long years ago. Ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. He also said that the Lord sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries, located in beautiful Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, is attempting to stand in the gap and make up the hedge in these days of spiritual compromise and theological apostasy. Our biblical and historical Christian heritage challenges us to fill in the gaps left by those who have moved away from their biblical foundation. Listen now as we build up the wall and make up the hedge through sound preaching from God's Holy Word. We're in Mark chapter 9. The previous session or lesson was about tolerance versus intolerance. John had reported to the Master that they had seen someone casting out devils in the name of the Lord. And this man, whoever he was, did not follow with uh, John and the other disciples or the Lord, although he preached and did things in the name of the Lord. And John forbade him, and Jesus said, do not forbid him, and gave some conditions for how to receive one and uh, what to do with that. So there is a potential to be offensive with the gospel and the matters of service. The lesson tonight, Mark chapter 9, verse 42, has to do with those offenses. Let me read verse 41 of chapter 9. Jesus said, For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. We don't have the paragraph divisions in the Greek New Testament, so we've devised those ourselves. You know, people, I'm generically talking whoever did that. So, verse 42, and, so it's a pickup from the last verse, whosoever shall offend one of these little ones, whosoever shall give a cup of cold water in my name, and whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. And then he talks about the hand being offensive. If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than to have two hands to go to hell into the fire that never shall be quenched where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And then he talks about the foot. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter a halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And he talks about the eye. If thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Of course, we see that phrase cast into hell, fire, where their worm dieth not and their fire is not quenched, repeated three times. Verse 49, For everyone shall be salted with fire, and every, every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his saltness, wherewith will ye season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace, one with another. Really, if you back up to a paragraph further back, 
the disciples, verse 33, disputed among themselves by the way, but they held their peace, for by the way they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. So they had this argument about who would be the greatest, and so all of that, I think, is put together with the Lord's lessons here, at least as Mark is recording them. The hand offending, the foot offending, the eye offending. So the topic tonight, the servant and his offensiveness. The servant and his offensiveness, three areas of offense. Number one, the offense of example. That's verse number 42. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone be hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. The offense of example. Christ is talking about the offense of offending others. Here he calls it, well, he says, offend one of these little ones that believe in me. Back in verse number um, 36, he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And so possibly he still has the child sitting there with him. And he says that whosoever shall receive one such children in my name receiveth me, and whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. Then the discussion about John could use the word offending a fellow believer who did not follow them. So possibly the child is still in the midst here. It depends on where these incidents fit in the life of Christ. So first, the offense of example. We are to be examples, of course, to the little ones as well as to the big ones. The word offend is interesting. It's the Greek word scandalizo. Can you find an English word from that? Scandal. So when we're offensive, we create scandal. It means to cause a person to stumble or to lead a person into sin. So if we offend any one of these little ones, we are causing them to stumble. Now, Mark is not using the language of a stumbling block, but that's the idea behind this. And this is such a terrible sin of leading another person into sin that Jesus says that a millstone should be hanged about his neck and he were to be cast into the sea. Let's think about some ways that we cause others to sin. We can be a stumbling block to them. The first way is by actually leading people into sin. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, we might say, oh, come with me. No one will know. It won't hurt you when young people are are tempted to smoke a cigarette. Sometimes they are prodded by their friends to, oh, it won't hurt you. Be a man, you know, or whatever. Be a woman, however they say it to the girls. Proverbs chapter 1, Solomon is recording this, of course. I think it's as if David, his father, was teaching him, but it's ultimately God, our Father, teaching us. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, come with us, let us lay wait for blood. Let us lurk privately for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us. Let us all have one purse. My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path, or their feet run to evil, 
and make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. So there's an example of directly leading somebody into sin, and there are folks in the world who do that. We can also cause others to sin by our example. Now, example is not a direct vocal command like, you know, let's go sin, or however the sinners would entice you to do it, and it may not be vocal at all. Children follow by example. We've all seen pictures of a little boy following in his father's footsteps. The child will see and learn by our example. And so we are, of course, admonished to live a right example. But what normally happens when I think about this is it may be an example of actually doing something wrong, but it also might be an example of doing something that is questionable. And someone may follow our example, not discerning a little child normally doesn't know the ins and outs of things and the reasons why we tell them, no, don't do such a thing, and they're, why? They don't understand what the reasoning is. So the young believer would say the same thing. And so the young child or young believer would say, if it's right for that person to do something, then it must be okay for me to do it. So we lead by example, leading them to sin. We can also cause folks to stumble into sin by overlooking the sin or passing by it. If somebody does something and we don't say anything about it, of course it depends on where we are in relation to them. We're not some authority over them. We don't have any authority to stop them from doing it, like, for instance, a relative that might do something that would be sinful. By not saying anything or not staying away from, like, for instance, in our situation, sometimes we get into a wedding where there is alcohol, and when we find out that alcohol is involved, we leave. We don't make a big fuss, we just leave. By doing so, we give a message that we do not approve of such things. When a Christian marries an unbeliever, we do not participate in that. I've done that several times with family members, and other family members don't understand that, but we do that because a Christian is not to be yoked together with an unbeliever. We don't want to condone that sin. So overlooking or passing over some wrong or giving it a soft name or maybe even considering it a minor sin. Are there minor sins as opposed to major sins? We think so, but not in God's sight. Sin is sin. So we can offend in not calling sin, sin. How about ridiculing? poking fun, or joking about a person's attempt to do right. Oh, he's just an old fuddy-duddy. Or he's a fanatic. I'm not like that. What are we doing? We're condoning the sin. We're causing that person to be offended by looking at, touching, tasting some things that are socially acceptable, like alcohol. It's socially acceptable to drink. 
but I believe, according to the Bible, not correct, sinful before the Lord, by participating in that, dancing is acceptable to the world, but don't think it should be a part of the Christian's repertoire. By doing so, we are promoting harmful, habit-forming, physically stimulating sin. And then there's also, by actually persecuting or threatening a child or a young believer if they do not participate in something or another, threatening them with the loss of a promotion or the loss of a job, the loss of, well, if you don't participate with me, I'm not going to be your friend anymore. Or perhaps even threatening some kind of a lawsuit or even death. Those are ways that people can be offensive to others. Now, it's a terrible sin. In our text, Jesus says that the one who offends one of these little ones, that a millstone should be cast about his neck. I'm told that the word for the millstone has reference to the large stone that uh, the animal would use in the grinding, not a small one that uh, a handmaiden would use to grind the grain, but a large one. So the idea is you hang this about the person's neck, he's not going to get out of it. He's going to be sunk to the bottom of the water and, of course, drowned, hanged about his neck, and he would be cast into the sea. And so Jesus is expressing to us the terrible nature of sin. Let's go to Romans chapter 14. In the book of Romans, Paul has a lot to say about being a stumbling block to others. Romans 14 is one passage where he does this. He also does it in the book of 1 Corinthians in a couple of places. Romans 14 and... We'll just kind of jump around here a little bit. Romans fourteen thirteen. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Then verse fifteen. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, and the context of Romans 14 is eating this meat that's been offered to the idols where the Gentiles would have known that was wrong. And Paul is saying that it's, you know, it's meat is meat. It's God, God made the meat. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. So we need to be careful about destroying other people by what we're doing or not doing. And then jump ahead again to verse 21. It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. Offending the brother so we can be stumbling blocks. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 32, Paul simply says, Give none offense. Give none offense. Neither to the Jew, nor to the Gentile, nor to the church of God. So we need to be careful about offending others. Most of the context of these passages have to do with offending a brother. And then, of course, the millstone put about the neck is going to be dragging this person to the bottom of the sea, and there is a drowning. I'm told also that drowning was a form of criminal 
punishment used by the Romans, but it was never used by the Jews. So that would be interesting that Jesus is using it here as a symbol of utter destruction or annihilation in the depths of death. So the Jews feared drowning, and even the Romans, I'm told, reserved it only for the worst criminals. So this is, Jesus is saying, offending a brother or a child or a young believer is a strong offense. Okay, so the offense of example. The second area of offense is the offense or offenses of the body. And here we get the hands and the feet and the eyes. So you can make those subpoints: the offenses of the body, and then letter A, the offense of the hands. Back to our text in Mark chapter 9, verse number 43. If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. How can the hand offend and become a stumbling block? Well, there are, again, many, many ways this can take place. It could be something forbidden, something unwise that is given or let go of. Given to another as, uh, as an offense by touching something. In the Nazarite vow, the Nazarite was not to touch a dead body. Okay, now that's a principle of life, you know, principle of separation. Um, where was that that Paul said, touch not, handle not, so forth? That would come into this in play here. If there is something that the Lord is asking us to leave, to drop, uh, and we cling to it, we clutch it, we're holding it, so the hand can be something, uh, this is the problem that Israel had. They, we call it syncretism, where they, it's like they held God in one hand and held the gods of the Canaanites in the other. Okay, so they're embracing God and uh, the gods of the world. And Jesus taught us you cannot serve God and mammon. A word for money. Well, the principle is the same. You really can't serve God and any other god at the same time. You can't clutch both of them. Um, so, uh, grabbing, pointing, uh, you know, even if we were to say to somebody, oh, look at that, and it's something we shouldn't be looking at. By a stroking, striking, hitting, those are ways that our hands can be offensive. Now, Jesus is telling there's a better alternative than sitting, sinning with the hand. That's cutting the hand off. Now, I personally don't think that the Lord is advocating that his servants cut their hands off, one or both. Um, I think the uh, admonition here is that we ought to stop sinning. I think that's the admonition with any of these body parts. But the body parts can be offensive. Now, let's look at this passage that he's going to quote many, many times, or three times here. It is better to go into hell into that fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Again, is he saying that if we offend with the hand, that the sin of one's hand condemns one to hell? That if you sin with your hand, you're going to end up in hell. He's just using the analogy, like the sin of 
offending the child, it's so offensive that we ought to put a millstone about the neck of that person and cast him into the sea. Again, I don't think the Lord is advocating that we literally do that either. I think he's saying that the hand offending is just as bad an offense of uh, offending the little one and uh, so much so that he's saying if, if the hand is, there's a better way, cut off the hand. Then you won't sin with the hand. Okay, well, think about that for a moment. So you cut off your hand, you're going to sin with your foot. You're going to sin with your eyes. You're going to sin with your heart. So let's just cut all the body parts off, then we won't sin at all. No, that's not what Jesus, I think, is saying. I think he's saying that these are offensive things and so serious that we need to do what we can to not be offensive. So, I don't think it's proper and right to say the sin of the hand or the sin of the foot or the sin of the eye condemns a person to hell. What condemns us to hell? The rest of the Bible tells us is our unbelief. Okay. Now, I'm not advocating and saying that it's okay for a Christian to sin with his hand or sin with his eye. He won't lose his salvation, so just go ahead and sin. No, I'm not saying that at all. Jesus is making a strong statement here. But he is talking about hell. And by the way, Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. And he is uh, talking about it here. He talks about hell as having a fire that never shall be quenched. Is that a literal fire? Yes, I believe there is a literal fire in hell. A fire that shall never be quenched. Never be put out. Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Let's talk about that for a moment. Interesting what the commentaries do with their worm. Well, the first time the word worm is used in the Bible, it talks about a worm. I think the worm has a reference to the soul. Let me take you to a couple of passages of Scripture. I believe this is a quotation from Isaiah 66 and verse number 24. So let's start there, Isaiah 66 and verse number 24. And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of men that have transgressed against me. For their worm shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. Now it's possible that Isaiah is using the analogy of Gehenna, or the trash fires outside the city of Jerusalem, where was a dump heap, and bodies were cast there, you know, the animals and whatnot. And, of course, when you have a dead body, you have worms, but you also have this ongoing fire. And so, you know, Isaiah may be using that analogy there. And this is the passage that Jesus is quoting here in Mark. But I think the worm is the soul. Let's go to Job 25 and verse number 6. What I like about Job is that Job, not sure when it was written, but what is happening with Job is before Moses wrote the Pentateuch, before he wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. So actually, in a sense, we could say that Job is really the first book of the Bible, chronologically, anyhow not as far as, you know, when it would have been written. Job chapter 25 and verse number 6, Job understood this concept of the worm. This is actually Bildad, the the Shuhite, who is, he's the shortest man in the Bible, you know, Shuhite. Uh, He says, 
Verse 6, how much less man that is a worm and the son of man which is a worm. Bildad understood that the son of man was but a worm. I think that's what Jesus is referring to when he says their worm dieth not. So folks are conscious in hell. And then also look at Psalm 22 and verse number 6. Here's the passage where the Lord is hanging on the cross. Verse 1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring. Verse 6 says, But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. I think that's the reference that we ought to pick for the meaning of this worm that dieth not where their worm dies not. So in hell, folks are quote-unquote alive. They're dead but alive. Okay, They're conscious. They're there in some physical body with a fire that is not quenched and a worm, a body, a soul at least, that does not die where the fire is not quenched. And we know the story of the rich man there who ended up in hell and the fire was so hot that he asked if Lazarus could come put his finger in the water and cool his tongue. And so the fire was so hot and never went out. And uh, this is the picture we have of folks in hell, where the worm dieth not. So I think what Jesus is saying about these offenses are so offensive that they're deserving. They're sins that are deserving of hellfire. Okay, now he's not teaching that you sin with your hand or your foot or your eye and you're going to end up in hell. What puts us in hell is unbelief. But just the stressing of this fact that the offense to the little one is that strong. All right, so we have uh, the sins of the hand. We also have sins of the foot. All right, verse, back to Mark's Gospel, verse number 45. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. How do we offend with the feet? By the way, there's a thought here when you're talking about the hand and the foot here being cut off. You can have a full life without all your body parts. Jesus said it's better to be with one hand or one foot or one eye or you take whatever it is that's in your life that might be missing. It's better to live without that thing than to be cast into hell. So life can be lived to the fullest without all of your body parts. You can live for God with one hand. You can live for the Lord with one hand or no hand. Whatever parts a person might be missing, they can still serve the Lord with the body parts that are remaining. How can we sin with a foot? Or at least be offensive with the foot? Again, things that might be forbidden, biblically forbidden, of course, unwise, that we fail to avoid, or we attend when we shouldn't. By standing, what did the psalmist say? Standing in the way of sinners. You can stand with your feet. You can run with your feet. Many admonitions not to run in the way of the wicked. Jumping. 
Well, I'm just going to jump right in there. Walking, of course. How many admonitions are there to walk in the right way? And then we have the eye. Verse 47. And if thy eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. How can you sin with the eye? Again, things that are forbidden, things that are unwise, that we should also avoid or not observe. We can look at them, we can stare at them, focus on them, glance, wink, open the eye. So, different ways that we can sin with the eye. There's a better alternative to sinning with the eye, he says, pluck it out. It's such a serious thing to sin with the hand, sin with the eye, or sin with the foot, that it is better to live without it than to sin. So we have body parts, the offense of the body. This is Dr. Lee Hennice, and we want to thank you for listening to the Hedgemaker broadcast today. Most of our broadcasts are portions of a sermon that I have preached at church. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries is the preaching, teaching, and writing ministry for myself. You can visit us on the web at hedgemaker.org. And let's be encouraged to stand in the gap and make up the hedge until Jesus comes again. <music>